Who is Jesus? The High Priest. Lion of Judah. The Alpha and Omega. The Rock. Victorious One. The Mighty One. Our Peace. Our Hope. Everlasting Father. Cornerstone. The Risen Lord. Our Redeemer. The Great I Am. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That wasn't me, that was the Lord asking you that question. So, good morning, New Life Church, Fayetteville. Man, you guys are a lively bunch, I love it. It's reflective of your pastors, uh, the Tombolis. As they said, my name is Caleb, my beautiful wife, Brooke, and our four-year-old daughter, Naomi. We have the opportunity to serve at part of your family, which is the New Life Church Russellville campus. And I'm always so thankful, humbled, and grateful to have the opportunity to visit anywhere, let alone have the opportunity to speak to you today. Uh, I take it very seriously, and I'm so thankful. Uh, I don't feel worthy, but we all know that none of us are meant to be worthy. Jesus Christ makes us worthy, and that's who we're going to talk about today. But before we do, I want to honor a couple that deserves all of the honoring, and that's the Tombolis. And, you know, as Seth said, they're very special. We're very special to to him. They're very special to us. Uh, We've known the Tombolis for a long time. We got to do some fun stuff in student ministry together, and uh, I got to tell you, this couple is the real deal. Uh, who you guys see here, who you, the passion you see Seth from the stage is the same passion he carries in his family, the same passion he carries in his relationship with God, and I'm going to tell you what, you guys have no idea, or maybe you do, how blessed you are to have the Tombolis up here, because God is going to do some great things through the kingdom of God and through that family. Can you give it up for Seth and Kendra really quickly? I love you guys. So thankful. Man, I am excited today to kick off this series, and what a question. Who is Jesus? You know, it's interesting, too, because this question has been around pretty much as long as Jesus has been around. Even as Jesus walked the earth, and the scripture tells us that many people were asking the same question, performing miracle after miracle, yet so many people continued to ask this question, who is Jesus? I want to be very careful this morning because I believe that according to Scripture, this is one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves. And I want to go straight to Scripture and tell you what John 3.16, verses 18. Many of us know John 3.16, but I want to read through all the way to verse 18. Listen to what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Many of us know that, but listen to this. Listen to the rest. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save, that's a key point, save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, praise God. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed, this is important, in the name of God's one and only son. You know, as I read this text, it's abundantly clear That the only way for us to be saved is through Jesus Christ. You know, we often use the terminology, the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, us who cannot save ourselves, each and every one of us, myself included, can be saved through Jesus Christ. And by doing so, we get to have a relationship with him today. And then we are also blessed to spend eternity in heaven. 
that Jesus not only saved us from the daily tasks of our lives today, but he also saved us from something that all of us worry about, and that's death itself. And that only Jesus Christ could do that. So if I could give you an answer or a title to the message today, who is Jesus, I would tell you that Jesus Christ is salvation. That Jesus Christ is salvation. Now you would probably say to me, Caleb, well, of course, right? But this is interesting because this is kind of debated even amongst Christians. Even amongst those who call themselves Christians. Look at these statistics. 48% of those who self-identify as Christians affirmed some notion of religious pluralism, which means they accept that there is more than one way or path to God. Now remember, we just read there's only one. Listen to this. 30% of those who self-identify as Christians believe that Jesus was merely a great teacher and nothing more. That is wild to me. We are talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yet many people who actually call and consider themselves to be Christians question this. And you know, these statistics to me tell me a story. That while some people have even prayed for salvation, they have yet to experience salvation. That many people may have even been in church or been in a place and had a moment and prayed over salvation, but they have not experienced the saving power of Jesus Christ in their life. We say it here in our vision that we are fully creating, fully devoted followers of Christ. This means that Jesus Christ is everything to us, that when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, what that means is that we spend our entire lives loving, obeying, and following him. Jesus Christ was never meant to be a side hustle. Jesus Christ was meant to be in the center of your life, of your marriage, of your family, of your relationships, of your career. Jesus Christ is everything to us because he has saved us. Don't we love the idea of a savior? Box office make billions of dollars off of Marvel superheroes that are a fantasy. But Jesus Christ is a reality. And think about this. Think about... When you're getting saved, just imagine, this is awful, I'm just, stick with me, that you're in an ocean and you're drowning, and there's a boat coming to save you. While you're drowning, you're like, oh, look at the beautiful little fish over here, and oh, look at the coral reef. No, your total focus and attention is on that boat, is on the person who is saving you. And so when you realize that Jesus Christ has saved you, he gets your complete focus and attention of your life because you recognize that without him, you would drown. That without him, you would stay broken. You would stay remaining in your sin nature. You wouldn't be able to overcome the things that only through Jesus Christ we can overcome. But oftentimes, people will place him in their bio, but they won't place him in the center of their life. We think Jesus is like a Facebook group that we just join, or he's an app that we click on when we need him. But the reality is Jesus needs to be at the center of everything that we do. You know, people ask me, well, how do you spend time with the Lord? Well, guess what? All of my time is with the Lord because he's with me everywhere I go. When I'm at PDQ at a gas station, actually, I'll take this back. My father does an incredible job of this. He loves fountain drinks. If you know Pastor Mark, brother loves a fountain. <laughs> he just loves Diet Coke right out of the fountain. In fact, when you're talking to him, most times you'll hear, Psh, and you hear ice because he's always there, okay? It's just true. This is true. Seth's laughing as he knows. 
But you know what I love is I was younger, I would watch him. And he would go up to the cashier, and with a simple transaction, he would make a moment of possible salvation. He would sit there and talk and encourage and love on them and ask questions about the, and it's, it, it's so crazy to me, the cashier's expression. They didn't know what to do. But like nobody's ever like recognized me as a, as a person. And that's what Jesus Christ teaches us is that every soul has intrinsic value. And so it's our responsibility to take Jesus everywhere because you never know when you meet a soul who's lost, broken, or needs saved, just like you did. So when you spend time with Jesus, it just means that he's with you everywhere you go. That you include him in every aspect of your life. But how do we really walk that out? This begs the question, how do we do this? What does salvation look like as a lifestyle? And this is a question that even the disciples were curious about. And I want to take you to John chapter 14, where one disciple has the courage to ask Jesus himself. And at this point in history, in John chapter 14, Jesus had already been resurrected. And he had reappeared to the disciples. And as he was here, he was preparing them to say, hey, I'm getting ready to ascend into heaven. Well, as the disciples, this is a shock, first of all, they see Jesus resurrected from the grave. He had just defeated death. And they're looking and staring at Jesus. And then they come to find out that he's going to leave them again. And so this is a big shock. And one disciple by the name of Thomas asked a question. Now, if you were raised in church, like I, you probably have heard the nickname about Thomas. Thomas the Doubter. Thomas kind of gets, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I feel like Thomas gets a bad rap. He gets a bad rap. But really, I think, and actually, I actually studied this, and every scholar agreed that Thomas was actually asking the question on behalf of all of the, the disciples. So we shouldn't give him a bad rap. We should actually praise him for having the courage to ask Jesus a question that everyone was thinking. It also made me think about that all of the disciples had doubts, not just Thomas. And don't all of us in this room have doubts as well? We almost don't want to talk about it in church and Christianity, like that we might doubt the Lord. But even the disciples who walked and watched firsthand doubted Jesus. And, let, and hear me on this. You, you need to hear me. There's nothing wrong with doubting. In fact, if you look at it in studying theology, what theology means, it's a set of beliefs. So actually, every person in this room is a theologian because you believe something. And so if you believe something, it means you doubt something as well. They go hand in hand. So we are all theologians. We're also all skeptics. Now, here's the important part, though. It's okay to doubt. What's more important is what you do when you get an answer to that doubt. And what's really important when it comes to the Lord is how you respond when he responds to your doubt. And you see, Jesus responds and gives an answer to the disciples. He responds to their doubt, and it's important how we as followers of Christ respond to it in our lives. And so let's look at it in John 14, 5 through 7. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, this is important. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, this is in Jesus' own words, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's an answer. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, the God who created us, you do know him and have seen him through Jesus. 
This is Jesus in his own words telling us the only way to true salvation is through him. The only way to know the God who created us is through the Jesus Christ. And what I love about Jesus is he gives the disciples and he gives us three practical ways that he saves us. He breaks down three practical ways of how salvation acts in our lives. And if you're taking notes, number one is the way, which is how he starts, and I love this, the way of Jesus is reconciliation. The way of Jesus is reconciliation. The original translation of the way in the Greek represents the road or the path. This is in reference to the direction of our lives. And the way that Jesus reconciles the direction of our lives is by changing it. Because we were all born into sin nature as broken vessels. And what we were headed towards is death and eternal damnation in hell. But because of Jesus, he altered and changed miraculously the direction of our lives. Paul puts it in Romans 6.23. He says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul's telling us is Jesus takes the direction of our lives from hopeless to hopeful. And when it comes to the direction, let's be honest, we've all got choices. Has anybody ever told you and they put the hand signal fork like this? Who has ever seen a fork like this? I haven't seen a fork like this. The forks that I use have five prongs. And so I like the terminology fork in the road, but I don't think we just have two options. I think oftentimes in our lives, we've got multiple. We've got a lot of options. Like a fork has five prongs, we've got five directions we could go in our lives. Not just in every season, but even daily. I remember the season of my life when I just graduated high school. Fun times, isn't it, people? I mean, come on. When you just graduate high school, you think you know it all and you know nothing. And so that was me. Or maybe that isn't you, but that was me. And I had multiple directions. I was really at a fork in my road. And I had all different kinds of options. I, I could have just gone to school, could have joined the Army. I could have played baseball. I could have felt, and I, at the time, I felt the call to ministry. Or the other option, which is the option I took, and if I could just wrap it up into one word, it was called YOLO. Uh, it's true. It's called YOLO. And I felt like this at the time of 18, because remember, I know everything. I felt like this was the past the path of least resistance, and probably going to be the most fun. Uh, but how it ended, and to make a long story short, was at 22 years old, I was in my parents' basement, broke with a court date. But the most important part, and why I wanted to take you straight there, was because in that moment, there needed to be a moment of reconciliation with me and the Lord. And if you're wondering what that word means, because the direction of my life needed to change, needed to be reconciled. Look at the definition of reconciliation. This is the process of two people or groups in a conflict agreeing to make amends or come to a truce. It was time for my will to surrender to God's will. I was finally ready at 22, and maybe some of you are a lot better and smarter than me, but I was finally ready at 22 years old after living my life YOLO for the last four years, I was finally ready to make a truce with God and to change the direction of my life. And that's why I love how Jesus starts with the way. Because before you know what you're going to do, you got to know where you're going. And before we know what we're going to do with our lives and how we're going to live it out, we got to know who's leading us. 
and who needs to be leading us and who I realize needs to be leading my life, it's not me, but it's Jesus Christ. He needs to become the compass of all of our lives. And look, listen, we are going to fall. It does not mean we're not going to fall or get distracted. But the first thing that we should do, the first way we should respond is put our eyes on the compass, is put our eyes back on Jesus. The first moment that we stand up, the first moment that we come out and break out of our distraction, we should immediately go back to making our focus Jesus. And Hebrews tells us this. He says, let us run with race, with, with perseverance, sorry, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The only way our faith will be strengthened if our focus is on Jesus. And let me tell you, as a fully devoted follower of Christ, as all of us are striving to be, all of our races are going to be marked with perseverance. All of our races are going to be marked with trials and doubts and distractions. But the key is that we never allow that compass to fall out of our hands. The key is that we never allow ourselves for too long to not put our focus and our attention back on Jesus. And what is that compass? Well, that compass is the truth. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. And what it does and what it can do is it can bring restoration. The truth of Jesus Christ brings restoration. You know, this word truth has become interesting today's day and age. It's gone from being objective to subjective. And what that really means is objective is a reality that doesn't involve people's emotions or feelings. Subjective means that it changes based off of a person's emotions or feelings. And so the truth has become more, if we're honest, about our opinion these days than our reality. And opinions, like attention, is the new currency. The better opinion you have, the more followers you'll get. The stronger, more accurate opinion that you can present, the more successful you'll become in our world. And I've even noticed this with myself, and man, am I guilty of this. Is that when anything goes crazy, anything happens in my life personally or in the world today, the first thing I search for, if I'm honest, is people's opinions or my opinion. What does so-and-so think about this? What does he think? What do they think? about this. Instead of asking God first, what do you say about this? What does God say about this? Do you ever wonder why life today can feel so confusing? Maybe it's just because we have too much access to people's opinions. You know, through social media, we're listening to people's opinions every day, nonstop, Non-stop, every day, we're listening to people's opinions about what's happening in life, and it can get really confusing. I've actually noticed this with sports. Like, I'm a big LeBron fan, okay? I'm sorry, but LeBron is the new GOAT. Listen, let's just take this time. If you think Jordan's the GOAT, let's pray for you. Hold on. No, just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But I, I do. And so things are going wild in Laker world, okay? And I love LeBron. I'm like, what is going on? Even though he just threw up 56 last night. It's crazy. But anyways, I, he's just... He's having some issues, and so I'm like, man, well, what does he do? What do he do? So I go to all these sports channels, Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, Nick Wright, and as I'm listening to all of these differing opinions, when I'm done with it, I'm actually more confused. I'm, like, more confused about what he should do. Maybe we should trade AD. You know what? Maybe LeBron should trade himself. Like, I just, I just don't know what to do when I, when I read all of this. And listen, it's funny and it's okay 
and we're confused about the Lakers organization, but it's dangerous when we get confused about the reality of our lives. This is dangerous for us when we get confused. And it's not because Jesus has made our life confusing. It's because we've taken our attention and focus off of him. That's why the gospel is so important. Like I think to myself, I can't afford, just me, this is me talking. I can't afford to go a day without reading the word or getting Jesus into my heart, getting the word of God into me. Because every single day there's an opportunity to trip up. There's an opportunity for confusion for me in my life. And it's so important that I keep the truth of Jesus Christ close to my heart. Hear me, it is so important to keep the word of God and to keep our Savior as close as we possibly can. Because what happens is if we listen too much to people's opinions, we forget about who Jesus really is. And the truth is that we are all broken individuals who are lost in our own sin. And the only way to restore our lives is through Jesus Christ. Listen to what restoration the definition is. I love it. It's the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. What Jesus tells us is that we always belonged to the kingdom of God. When God created us, we always belonged to the kingdom of God. But what sin did was sin separated us from God. So the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus gives us the ability to return to our creator. Think about that. Here's what happens is the world wants you to believe my life belongs to me. But what Jesus tells us and wants us to understand is our lives belong with him. Hear me. Your life doesn't belong to you. Your life belongs to the God who created you, to the kingdom of God that is far better than the kingdom of Caleb. Hear me on that. I hope you grab that today. You belong in the kingdom of God. Every single one of us who have a living soul within inside of us, we carry the intrinsic value to belong to the kingdom of God. So don't buy into the lie that I'm better off with myself. You're far better off with Jesus Christ. And then what he does is my favorite part is the life, man. It's the life. He provides a life of redemption. Man, I'm so thankful for this. I can get emotional thinking about this. The life that Jesus Christ provides. You know, I love how he ends with this. Because really, to me, it makes perfect sense. It gives us a sense of the role that Jesus himself wants to play in our lives. And that's everything. This is why you'll actually hear me in a moment. Every time that I pray for salvation in someone else, it's a reminder to myself. I say, Jesus takes center stage of our heart and life. And I might be praying that for you, but I'm also praying that for myself. Jesus Christ never leave the center of my heart and my life. We have to place Jesus in the center of our marriage, our career, our family, our relationships. But listen, I know it can be intimidating. It can be intimidating to think about how to even do that. The disciples themselves were probably wondering the same thing. You know, for me, it's been 12 years since that moment in my parents' basement, that moment of reconciliation. And it's important, and I was very intentional to use the word redemption. It's important you understand what that word means. It's the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. I think when we think about the life that Jesus has for us, We sometimes make the mistake of 
That means perfection. But what true redemption represents is progression. And I think the life that Jesus has for you is not perfection, but it's progression. So that every time we fall, every time we trip, every time we make mistakes, that we have an opportunity to be redeemed. Some of you in this room, you may feel like you've made a lot of decisions to make your marriage fall apart. Guess what? Through Jesus Christ, it can be redeemed. Some of you in this room think there's no hope for your family. But guess what? Through Jesus Christ, it can be redeemed. There is nothing on this earth that can't be redeemed by the power, presence, and authority of Jesus Christ. And guess what? Every one of us in this room have access to it. Every one of us on this earth have access to that power. But the key is when you do fall, when you do make bad decisions, or when other people make bad decisions that affect you, how will you respond? I want to ask you that question today. How are you going to respond to the sin you're surrounded with or the sin within? How are you going to respond to it? We know how Jesus not only responded to it, but how he taught us to. Will you continue or will you put Jesus back in the center of your life? Or hear me, will you replace him with something else? And I wish I had time, and I don't, to tell you how many times I've tripped, I've falled, I've been distracted, I've messed up. But the only key for me has always been is that I've responded through following, obeying, and listening to Jesus Christ. And what I have learned is that as long as I keep Jesus in the center, he will continue to redeem every aspect of my life. And I'm a walking, talking example of redemption. He has redeemed my marriage, my family, my career, and my relationships, all because of him. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 tells us, Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And some of you feel like you're currently deep in sin. Man, you've made some toxic decisions that are weighing heavily on your mind. And this morning, God has presented you with an opportunity to respond to it, to have a moment of reconciliation followed by a moment of restoration where you replace the lies that you bought into that pushed you to make those decisions and you replace it with the truth of Jesus Christ. And then you'll have an opportunity for redemption. That through obeying God as you walk out of here today in obedience with the Lord, that he can redeem that aspect of your life. With heads bowed and eyes shut, I want to give you that opportunity today.